0: just crossed the border that's always a a real treat Um, I'm not going uh, from Mexico to California I'm going from California to Mexico which sounds like it should be uh, easy enough Um, but uh, it is quite a challenge when you're uh, when you're trying to import a truck that has expired license plates and uh, in addition to that, uh, about 650 pounds worth of car parts. So uh, uh, here's how this played out. A few days ago, I left Santa Barbara, drove to San Diego, picked up a, uh, picked up a bunch of parts on the way, had to drop them off in San Diego, picked up a, a, a stove, drove that out to 29 Palms, dropped that off, picked up some antiques, moved those around, drove back to San Diego, picked up all the car parts, reloaded them back into... The truck and drove to the immigration border. Once I got here, um, they uh, they stop you. And what you do is you go and you could try to go through the line, but it's, you know, is normal. But uh, first of all, it's not legal. And second of all, it's probably not smart. Um, but uh, so you go to this line and it says declaration. So you go in there uh, when you have something to declare. And when you have a truck full of uh, car parts, usually uh, you should do that. Uh, okay, you should definitely do that. And uh, so I figured out how to do this. You know, you got to get this paper, write this stuff, go inside. They take a look at this. Then you go back outside and the inspector comes by. Well, this guy comes by, this inspector, and he takes a look at it. And I wrote down $600 worth of parts. And granted, I knew it was more than that, but they're usually happy with some amount of money. And in retrospect, I probably should have put down the full amount, but Being that that was probably about, I don't know, $3,500 or so, and it would cost me probably $500 to import it, I wrote down $600. I know. I shouldn't have done it. I feel bad, too. Um, But so that's what I wrote down, and the guy said to me, "Uh, I need to see your registration. Of course, this is all in Spanish. And I, I, I grabbed the registration that I put in the car before I left, well, the registration for the truck I'm driving is expired. And so I grabbed the registration for my one of my VW vans, and I put that in there thinking I could feign ignorance uh, and say, oh, I made a mistake in doing this. And even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is pretty horrible. I can't believe I just did this. Um, and so the guy takes a look at it. He goes, this is for a Volkswagen. This is a Ford. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I must have gotten the wrong one. I said, well, here's the insurance. And I did have legitimate insurance on the vehicle. So with that, he said, well, what's in these boxes? I told him car parts. And he looks on the outside of one box. And there's 11 boxes in there. And he says, "Uh, let me see how much this costs. And he looks it up online. It's $450 just for that one part. So he says, I'm gonna to have to send you back to the US. And I said, uh, I said, oh no, is there anything I can do? Is there a fine I have to pay? I could pay a fine. And all of a sudden he goes, wow. And I thought, what happened? And he's like, oh my goodness. And he actually said that out loud in English. And, and I'm like, what? And I can see he's looking. And here's this beautiful Mexican girl. <laughs> and he's completely enamored by this girl. And at this point, he starts speaking to me in English, telling me how beautiful she is and how much he likes her. And I said to him, I said, well, if I could introduce you to her, would you let me go? And he said, if she comes over here, I'll, uh, 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 we'll see. Well, sure enough, she walked over. And so um, with that, he told me to get in the truck And then, uh, so then after she left, he had a big smile on his face and he said, uh, well, uh, give me a hundred dollars and then you have to go in and pay the, the import duty, the tariff. And, and, uh, every country has tariffs. Well, I think every country does pretty much every country does if you're bringing a bunch of stuff. So I went back over and, uh, went back over and, Paid the tariff. The tariff is uh, not that much. It's sixteen percent, so it's like a big fat tax. If you ever go up to eat in San Francisco, that's what you're going to pay for for tax when you go in the restaurants, because you pay the state tax and then they also have some other weird health tax. I think they call it. I don't know. Just an excuse for more money. But uh, so I paid sixteen percent, which cost me ninety eight dollars. Paid the guy a hundred bucks um, for. Uh, for a grand total of $198 um, and it probably should have been like at least twice that if not more than that So, but I made it across the border well actually no I made it out of the declaration area and then I went across the uh, go to cross the border through immigration and once you go through immigration that's a whole different story because then they can pull you over again and make you unpack the entire truck and so the guy stopped me But I'm telling you, it was such a zoo over there. I've crossed the border a million times, and I have never seen that many cars in there at one time. It was just jammed up. Hardly anyone could even move. And so I was stopped, and I was kind of semi-blocking traffic. So I think he was just as happy to get me out of there. I showed him my import uh, fees that I paid, and he said, okay, go. He actually said, go in a hurry. Um, So... Anyway, I'm on my way. Uh, it's been an exciting uh, exciting couple of days. I mentioned the stove. I gotta tell you what happened with the stove. So I, um, I, I drove down to San Diego and went to pick up this stove. It's a really cool vintage stove. It really is, really neat. And so I was uh, all excited for this. And uh, I got there and I thought, wow, it really does look nice. Maybe even a bit nicer than I expected so um you know that was that was really wonderful and i'm just trying to figure out where i go here i hope i'm doing this right um it's always interesting driving through tijuana especially when they close all the main roads and i have to take now these back roads uh so i'm trying to figure out what the heck i'm actually doing so i pick up go to pick up the stove meet this couple so nice. Um, the two of them are like fitness gurus. They tell me they each work out twice a day. I'm like, is that even healthy? Um, so I, I picked up the, the stove. It's this vintage stove. It's like 1950 or so. It's wedge, Wedgewood. It's white. It's an old vintage gas stove. And so I jump in, put it in, get it in the truck with them. And now it's, uh, probably eight o'clock at night. And I need to drive over to twenty nine Palms, which is probably like almost four hours away, something like that. Uh, some of you might know that answer better than I do, but so I was driving along and I made it over to Banning. Now, Banning is not exactly known for its beauty or or elegance or a high degree of culture, but um it is known for something within about a half a mile strip. I'm pretty well convinced there are more fast food restaurants in that half a mile than there are anywhere else in the country. I mean, it was every conceivable fast food restaurant ever known to man there. Well, I went to uh, go check into a hotel, got into the Days Inn, spent the night there, got up in the morning, had their little cheesy breakfast, and and, uh, jumped in the truck. I drove uh, over to Yucca Valley, stopped and picked up a an antique uh, dresser thing that I was picking up to take out to our desert homestead cabin that's way out in the middle of nowhere, one that doesn't have any neighbors nearby. And I knew I needed to get out of the car, though, out of the truck and into the house. And this thing is heavy. In 1950, they made things that are heavy. And (laughs) and so I'm like, how am I going to do this? So I thought, who can I call? And I thought I can pay somebody. I don't mind if I have to pay somebody. And sure enough, I call the two biggest guys I've ever met in my life. This guy, Ryan, who is just the nicest guy you would ever want to meet. I mean, he is just wonderful. He he works over at a place called Builder Supply. He's the yard foreman. Um, He got himself a little promotion there, so now he's a hot shot. Um, and, uh, I've known Ryan now for, I guess, probably two years or more. And, and, uh, he's just a great guy and Ryan's six, six. And, um, and, uh, he, you know, it's hard to find too many guys that are six, six that, um, that are really big, solid guys, but that's Ryan. And well, the other guy that I called was a guy named John, John Kramer and John Kramer, is about the same size. He's 6'6". Six, six, he might even be 6'7". And so I realized if the two of them stood on each other's shoulders, they'd be over 13 feet tall. So uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I got there to get them to help me. And uh, they helped me get the other stove out. And we went to put this new gas stove in. And I got to tell you, we brought it in the house. And it was like, I mean, if, if things could be happy, it was happy. It was just, you know, beautiful in there, really looked great. And so anyway, I put the, uh, uh, we put it in there, went to connect up the the gas. And sure enough, it's just smelling like gas all over the place. I thought, well, I need to light the pilot. So I lit the pilots. Um, That seemed to help some. And so we're messing around with the pilots on the top. And then I realized, oh, shoot, there's also a pilot on the bottom I got to deal with. And... So I lit that, and it just smelled so strong of gas, I called the gas company. And, uh, and so the gas company came out there, and in the meantime, though, they told me it'd take four hours for them to get there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I went over to Rocky's Pizza, got some pizza there, great pizza place. And, uh, and then I thought, well, I'm going to go back and wait at the house. And so I went over to the little uh, Love Shack Airbnb cabin, which is not to be confused with the, the Hacienda Desert Homestead cabin. And sure enough, just as I drive up, there's the gas man. Well, by this point, apparently, whatever the gas issue was has uh, had, had improved dramatically. And everything was seemed better to me. I couldn't smell anything. And so the gas man came in with his special electronic sniffer, sniffed the heck out of everything and said, it's fine. So that was great. And so off I went and uh, jumped in the car and I thought I'm going to drive as far as I can. And I was on my way to San Diego and I made it to a town called Fallbrook, um, kind of a cute town, stayed at this place called the Country Club Inn or something like that. I'm not sure how it got the name. Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, it was, uh, it was fine. Spent the night there. Uh, got up this morning and drove back to San Diego. And then had to reload all that stuff back up in the truck. And made it to the border. And well, you know the rest of the story. So right now, I'm on my way to um, my friend Eddie's house. He uh, runs a deaf school in Mexico. I don't think I shared this with you guys before, but um, this deaf school is pretty amazing. Um, they, uh, it was started uh, because my friend Luke uh, went deaf at the age of five. He had a number of medical uh, 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 issues when he was little. He got, I don't know, something like meningitis and measles and, I don't know, just all these horrible diseases. And he lost uh, almost all of his hearing. He's like 85% deaf. He told me that most, quote, deaf people aren't 100% deaf. Um, they hear just the tiniest, tiniest little bit. And so Luke uh, falls into that category as well. And he's legally deaf. And Luke's a pretty cool guy. I mean, he's legally deaf. He's as nice as they come. And, and, uh, and what ends up happening is um, Luke's family... Uh, they're good, solid Christian folks, and back when Luke was five years old, he's 55 now, something like that, um, he, uh, he, he, uh, the dad uh, hears about this horrible flood in Mexico, and what ends up happening is all these people die, and so he decides, being the nice guy that he is, he's going to go with some friends from his church out to Mexico and see what he can do to help them. Well, while he's there, he sits down. The dad sits down, and this man comes up to him. A man, his man's sitting next to him, who's a pastor. And they're talking, and this boy walks up and wants to shine their shoes. This is back when people wore leather shoes. And and so the dad says, sure, shine my shoes. And he starts trying to talk to the little boy, and the pastor says, uh, sir, he's, he's deaf. He can't hear you. And and luke's dad thought oh my gosh i speak sign language i'll just speak to him in sign language i bet he's going to be happy to find out someone speaks sign language and so he starts signing to the kid and the kid just kind of shrugs his shoulders has no idea what the guy's trying to do and just starts polishing the shoes and the pastor tells him they don't know how to speak sign language there's no one to teach him sign language so well can they go to a school he says, there's no school for sign language down here. Well, that made an impression on Luke Everett's dad, and so with that, he went back to the United States, down to the Carolinas, where he lived. Sold everything he had, bought a uh, a bus, loaded the family on the bus, and off they went to start a deaf school in Ensenada, Mexico. Is that amazing? <clears throat> so it's quite a story as to how they made it, but eventually they they got to Ensenada and they decided we're going to open a deaf school. They went, rented a house and put a sign in the window that says school for the deaf. And within two weeks they had 12 students, but they realized a lot of these kids didn't even really have homes because they were seen as a liability. Why would anyone really want a deaf child? You know, you can't talk. They can't, they, they don't understand what you're saying. They're a liability. They can't work. Um, you know, so a lot of those kids live on the streets. Um, the boys, I mean, that boy was pretty lucky that he had a shoeshine kit. Um, you know, a lot of times they're lucky if they can just walk around with a box of chiclets and literally live on the streets. Uh, the girls, the girls have some value because they could be sold as uh, a house, permanent house cleaner or perhaps worse. Um, if they were ended up being a, a domestic servant, not servant, like a slave, but, um, then, uh, at least they would have food and all of that a place to sleep. But uh, especially for the boys, it was quite difficult. And if the girls were sold into some other trade, as you can imagine, it would be, uh, horrific. So anyway, um, so these kids don't really have a place to go. So the dad says, why don't we have them stay with us? And so they end up getting a a bigger house. And the next thing they know, they have like this huge list of people that want to send their kids to this school. And the word's getting out in the community and outside the community that there's a deaf school in Ensenada. So Mr. Everett realizes he's going to need to do something about this. And so he ends up talking to this lady who owns 500 acres of land way out um, east of of, uh, of Ensenada. And back then, gosh, that probably was, oh, maybe an hour and a half ride, at least an hour, uh, to get out there. And, uh, it was, it was nothing out there. And there was a, there was a little river. Um, but that was about it. And he wanted to buy the land and the land was 50,000. I think it was 50,000. I'll have to find out what the number was. I think it was $50,000 and, a uh, ridiculous amount of money for him at the time. Cause he didn't have any money. But at the same time, it was, uh, it was a really good deal, 500 acres of land. And so he bought the land, and he, or he told her. She said, I'm going to buy the land. And, and his wife's like, you're crazy. Where are you going to get the money? He goes, we're going to get the money. And she said, well, you have 30 days to get the money. He goes, we'll have the money. And so here it is, truly, true, true story. The last day, uh, day before the, the money is due, he's like, I don't know what we're going to do. And he goes to the mailbox. And here's a check. Someone in the United States said they felt compelled to send them a check for whatever the amount of money was. It was the same amount of money as as the um, as the as the cost of the property. So they bought the property and. Um, and so they moved out there and, you know, you think about it, it isn't like there was a house. So they had to live in tents and for water. They had to go down to the river and they literally had a station wagon, and so they'd load up barrels and in the back of the station wagon and fill it with water and then bring the water up to the house or to wherever they were living. Unbelievable situation. Well, they start building a house, and thankfully, uh, because he was uh, well-connected with uh, Christian churches, a bunch of people came down to help him build the church. And I'm, I'm sorry, build the house. And so finally they had a house. And boy, were they excited. And two months later, the house burnt to the ground. It was horrible. Horrible. You can imagine how tra- how devastating that must have been. Um, well, time went on and they rebuilt the house. And uh, and uh, they wanted to get a well. Uh, but the truth is they didn't have any electricity out there. It was so far for the electricity. And so... Um, the difficulty was, you know, you'd have to run a generator, but running a generator is very expensive when you're running it for a long time. And the problem was, uh, at night it would, it would get dark and all these kids that are living there who are deaf can't see each other. And because they can't see each other, they can't speak. And so, um, you know, it's things we don't think about. I mean, if someone's deaf and it's pitch black, you, they can't communicate, um, so they so when these people arrived, um, the students, it was actually pretty amazing um, what would happen. Uh, when they'd arrived, they obviously didn't know sign language, um, but uh, the first thing that needed to happen was the Everett family needed to learn how to speak Mexican sign language. They knew how to speak American sign language, but they didn't know how to speak Mexican sign language. And you say, oh, oh, you mean Spanish sign language? No, I... I mean, Mexican sign language, because the Mexican sign language is different than Argentinian sign language, which is different than Spanish sign language. Each country or region might have their own, um, their own, own version. And part of the reason is not all words translate quite perfectly. Uh, someone told me once, and they gave me this as an example, it's almost a funny example, but I'll, I'll use it. Um. If you wanted to say the word pot, like I need a pot for boiling water, you make like a little cup with your hands, and that means pot. Well, if you said, I want to buy some pot because I want to get high, the word for pot is the same. But in Spanish, in in Mexico, and in pretty much every Spanish language, the word for pot that you would have for cooking might be the same, a little cupped hand. I don't really know what it is. But for marijuana, that would make no sense. Why would you have your hands cupped if that's going to mean marijuana? So um, uh, it was, it's a different language. I mean, some things cross over, but a lot doesn't. And so when these kids arrive, this is the thing that breaks my heart. When they arrive, they don't know that they have a name. They don't even understand that. I mean, how, how would they know? And so, um, uh, when they arrive, I mean, certainly they could spell out the name, but since they can't read I and mean, they can't, I was going to teach them how to read, you know, it's, it just ends up being, they're just trapped. It's just really a horrible situation for them. But, um, uh, so what they do is they, it, rather than spell out their name, cause letters mean nothing, it's more like a, more like a symbol, a hand, a hand gesture and, and uh, I'm down there a lot, and so they gave me a name, and if you know how to make the letter M, uh, for MG, uh, you make that little M, and then you put it next to your face and make like an up and down motion just to the side of your mouth. And I asked them, why? why? And I thought, maybe because I talk a lot. And they said, no, because of your, my, my mustache beard thing. And so <laughs> I said, what happens if I shave it? Will you change it? They're like, nope, it'll always be that. And I'm like, okay. My buddy Luke, if you made a letter L, like even the type that you'd make if you held up your hand to say there's a little letter L, um, and you put your thumb in your, in your cheek and then wiggle your, the, your forefinger back and forth like you're trying to wave with your thumb attached to your cheek, uh, that's how you say Luke. And now it would be different if there's another guy named Luke, but that's how you say my friend, whose name is Luke. And the reason why they do that is because when he was younger, he had dimples. So the thumb kind of went where the dimples were. Um, my wife, Susie, uh, has long hair. And the way you make an S is basically just like a fist, almost like a white, white power, black power, whoever it was, someone with the power, what raising their hand with a fist. Um, and, and like that, if you held your hand up like that and put it next to your head and pulled your hand straight down, that letter S because of the fist and that motion pulling it straight down because of her hair. And that's how you say Susie. Anyway, this could go on all day. Um, so the, here's the school and what they're finding is since these kids don't have anywhere to go, it's turned into more of an orphanage and a school. And you know, so you got to feed these kids and you have to teach them sign language and you have to figure out how you're going to get water and you have to run a generator. And when the, water, when the electricity goes out, you have kids walking around and they can't even communicate uh, because they can't see well enough to be able to see each other's hand signals. Um, well, um, amazing as it is, the Everett family got very, very involved in uh, racing. And they were racing in, in the Baja 1000 uh, quite a bit, and uh, somehow they ended up getting to know someone in the government. And if I remember it right, the governor was uh, was a big fan of racing. And the Everetts were big fans of racing. So much so that they even um, – Eddie, uh, who's my buddy, whose house I'm going to, uh, Luke's brother, he ended up winning the Baja 500, first in class, first overall. Um, and then a number of times they won the Baja 1000, um, for, for their class. So, um, anyway, where was I? So anyway, uh, so they get to meet this, this guy in the government and they says, yeah, well, we run a deaf school. He says, oh, wow. And so they start explaining about how the kids can't speak, um, at night or they can't, they can't read their hands at, at night. And, and so uh, he said, you know, we, we'd love to have electricity out there, but it's miles and miles from the nearest place where there's any electricity. So um, one day, all of a sudden, they start noticing farther down the valley, they can see these telephone poles coming down the valley. And so wouldn't you know it, this government official uh, campaigned on their behalf and got electricity brought all the way over to the ranch, Rancho Sordo Mundo is the name means, uh, it used to be ranch sort of Mudo, which means, uh, uh, basically ranch for the deaf and mute. But, um, apparently it's quite offensive, um, to, um, uh, to deaf people to be referred to as mute because they say, you know, mute means you can't speak. And they're like, we can speak. They just speak with their hands. They make a good point. And so, uh, Luke was talking about this. And explain the deaf culture is really insulted when it when you say sordo mudo, you know, deaf and, and and mute, as we would say in in English, deaf and dumb, and you know, so it's just really not a not a good situation. So uh, Luke said, you know, we're doing all this deaf, we're we're working with deaf schools now all over the world, and so they changed the name from Rancho Sordo Mudo to Rancho Sordo Mundo. And if you know Spanish at all, you know that means world. So basically, you know, kind of like the ranch to the deaf world. And, uh, and that's stuck. And I think it's a, a good name for them. So anyway, that's, that's where I'm going. And, uh, and, and I'll be uh, staying out there um, since the time the house burnt down, uh, which was a long time ago, probably 48 years ago, something like that, 45 years ago. They've since added a bunch of homes and buildings and dormitories and and all the rest and um, and they've uh, expanded and they have a deaf school over in uh, Los Mochis and one in Cuernotoro and uh, and kind of all over the place. Anyway, they're they're great people. I'm looking forward to seeing them again. Um, and uh, you know, I guess I'll probably. Uh, wrap it up with that. And uh, I'm going to go see Ricardo tomorrow. He's the painter. And uh, maybe tomorrow I'll tell you about that and and what he has going on. And uh, after after I know what he has going on. All right. Well, great chat with you folks. If you want to give me a gift, do me a favor and and like and subscribe to this um, and tell your friends. That'd be a huge gift to me. All right. Farewell for now. Vaya con Dios. Dios te bendiga.